Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kathy Kuhn, and I'm the Counseling Director here at Rolling Hills. We're continuing in our series, Engage, and today's sermon focus is evangelism. God's calling for each of us is to know Him and to make His name known. And that's why evangelism is so essential as followers of Jesus. Well, good morning. I'm really glad that you're here today. Uh, We are continuing on in a series that we've been in for, I guess this is the fifth week now, on the idea of engaging your spiritual life and and what it means to engage your spiritual growth to the point of being a part of a gospel-centered community and being intentional about your daily discipleship and figuring out what your ministry giftings are and how you engage the world through missions, but not only the world through missions, but also this community around us through the idea of evangelism. And so that's where we center our attention and our ideas and our thoughts on today. What does it mean to be a person who engages your spiritual life with the idea of sharing your faith? So years and years ago, um, gosh, she's almost 15 now. And so when we were brand new parents with our first child living down in Florida, there was an issue that we had to address, a little minor medical emergency. And so we took her to the emergency room and the doctor came in and they checked her out and they ran some tests and he comes back in and he breaks the news to us and he tells us she has conjunctivitis. Now I'm on the phone at that point with the Mayo Clinic trying to figure out what in the world this is. The mothers in the room are laughing because they realize it's not that big of a deal. He leaves the room, terrible bedside manner, doctor, come on, give it to us in a way that we can understand it. And the nurse, who's a seasoned parent, much longer in her years than we were, looked at us and said, it's going to be okay, it's pink eye. Sometimes the news that you get sounds way worse than it actually is. And sometimes it's just the opposite. When we talk about this idea of news that needs to be shared, are you a person that when you have good news, you just can't wait to share it with like a thousand people? Or are you a person that when you have bad news, you just can't wait to tell everybody within a sounding ear? Like how do you give good news to people? You try to make it a surprise, some kind of cool secret. How do you give bad news to people? Do you try to sandwich it like a compliment between like compliment criticism, compliment. Maybe you do it that way, like you're like, good news, not so good news, more good news, so that it somehow softens the blow of what the news actually is. When it comes to sharing the gospel, we understand that that word in and of itself literally means good news. And that's the definition that I always heard as a kid, but but I've come to understand that it stops short of what it actually is in that moment, because the gospel that we celebrate and the gospel that we understand is not just good news, end of story. It's good news in spite of really bad news. And, And we need good news in spite of bad news. Maybe you've heard the expression, no news is good news, right? Well, not so much for the really tall fellow in the duo Penn and Teller, you know, the entertainers, comedians, magicians, whatever they are, one guy doesn't talk. The one who does um, thinks that that's pretty far from the truth. There was an actual study that was conducted in 2019. Maybe the results would be different now because we've changed a lot since then. But it was actually the Barna Group and the makers of a course called Alpha trying to figure out where millennial Christians were in the idea of evangelism and sharing their faith. This is what the results said. Nearly half, 47% of practicing Christian millennials, these are church church growers, (laughs) church goers who consider religion to be a very important part of their lives, they believe that evangelism is actually wrong. Specifically, they say that it's wrong 
to share one's personal beliefs with someone from a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. And this is the point that Penn Jillette literally disagrees with. Uh, a self-declared, like, widely known atheist and antagonistic towards faith. And it was basically a substantiated legend at this point. We know that he said this in an interview. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. In fact, if you believe that there is a heaven and that there is a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, it's really not worth telling them this because it would make the situation socially awkward. How much, this is the quoted line, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate a person to believe that everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? He says, I mean, (laughs) this is a great story. If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, but that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I would tackle you. And remember, of Penn and Teller, he's the big guy, so I would be concerned. There's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this This idea of eternity, he says, is more important than that. I've always thought it, and I've written about it, and I've thought about it conceptually. Some people hate to be the bearer of bad news, right? Some people want to ask that question, hey, do you want the good news or the bad news or both, and in which order? Ultimately, what we understand about gospel is that it's really good news in spite of some really bad news, and at the end of the day, we need both. In seminary, I learned a bunch of different definitions and actually had to articulate my own definition of what the idea of evangelism actually is. I'll adopt this one for a long, long time. It's from a fellow named D.T. Niles. He says this, evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread puts every person on planet earth on a level, even playing field. It's not the educated and the enlightened telling the lowly and the struggling where they can find a meal. It's literally one lost, destitute beggar saying, I found it, and and let me show you where you can find it too. And so that's the definition that we adopt today, and we dive into Scripture, and we're going to bounce around to a lot of different passages and ultimately land on something that many of us have grown up with knowingly and affectionately calling the Roman road, and we'll get to that. But I begin today with the book of Galatians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a a nation, a, a people that were outside the Jewish faith but had in his ministry come to faith. And he sends them this letter, and he's describing his conversion and when he came to faith and how the other Jewish believers responded. He says, they had only heard the report The man who formerly persecuted us, because that was Paul's life, literally persecuting, bringing Christians, early believers in Jesus Christ, out into the streets, arresting them, trying them, convicting them, and in some cases, even killing them, martyring for their faith. That was his role. This man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he tried to destroy, and they praised God. He says, these Jewish believers, they praised God because of me and what God had done in my life and the transformation that occurred. He goes on in chapter two to say, then after 14 years, he was on long missionary journeys from decades. He says, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. He amassed apprentices that went with him from place to place, and sometimes that he would deploy to other cities to be his missionaries and advocates in these places to communicate Jesus. He says, I went in response to revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders 
scriptures, and I presented to them the gospel, the good news, that I preach among the Gentiles. This is Paul writing to a Galatian church, telling them about his experience with the early Jewish believers and reminding them about what faith means. This is him fulfilling the verse that we launched out with last week, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, that says, and this gospel, this good news of the kingdom will be preached in all nations. Paul, first century, is literally doing his part to preach the gospel into all nations so that people can come to know saving faith in Jesus Christ and then the end will come. We're literally still living in those days when you and I ought to be preaching the gospel to all nations so that ultimately the end of eternity can come. It's this gospel good news that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 24. It's this gospel good news that Paul writes about to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 1. And sometimes I say these words with the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable because, you know, I'm Southern, but here we go. (laughs) Euangelizo is the verb form of the word gospel. It's where we get the word evangelism, and it literally means to announce or to proclaim good news. Euangelion is the noun. Euangelion is the noun form of the word gospel, the Greek word for evangelism, and it literally means the good tidings of salvation through Christ. That's gospel. And I don't think it's limited to what Barna and the Alpha Course people found about millennials being the only people who have somehow determined, 50% of them, that the gospel is not worth sharing, that evangelism is that we actually shouldn't do because we don't want to offend somebody else. I literally think it's all Western or all comfortable believers in Jesus Christ who have adopted that mindset to say that we are not going to risk the conversation or risk the social awkwardness or risk the reputation that we have by engaging the culture and the people and the relationships that are around us for the express purpose of sharing the gospel, which ultimately means that we start with some really bad news in order that we might be able to share the really good news. It's ultimately all of us, and maybe we don't share. This is in your notes. You can jot down because you like to fill in the blanks to keep you awake this morning. Whatever you need to do, that's okay. You can fill it in on the mobile app on your phone that follows along with these notes. Maybe the reason that we don't share is because in some way we're not exactly sure what salvation is. Somehow or another, the prayer that you prayed when you were seven or the life that you've lived since then has muddied the water in your mind and you're not exactly sure how to explain this gift of life that we've been given in Jesus and you're not exactly sure how to explain what this news actually is. Maybe it's definitionally, maybe it's educationally, maybe it's because we put the pressure on ourselves to know about a whole bunch of big, big words like conjunctivitis when really we can just call it pink eye like it is. Maybe somehow or another we've talked ourselves out of sharing the gospel because we're confused on some parts of it. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul sums it up so clearly. In verse 1 of that chapter, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live and in which you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedience. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I've got some really bad news for all of us. We're all beggars. We're all doomed. We're all sinners. And we're dead in that transgression, convicted of who we are not just the things we do, but who we are in our core and our nature. And yet good news follows. 
It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. I've got some terrible news, but it's followed up by some really good news. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, literal beggars, in Christ Jesus. That somehow or another we were dead in our transgressions and Christ in his love sought to give us a gift of salvation so that he can gain even more glory and more attention for being the loving, good, kind, merciful father that he is and that it says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's literally a gift. It's literally a blessing coming straight from God who loves his people. Maybe somehow or another we don't share because we've gotten confused about what the message is and we don't know how to communicate to people what the nature of their sin actually is. Maybe we don't share because we're not sure. Maybe we don't share because we're swayed. That was the problem of the Galatian church. That was the tenor of the letter. If you go back to the beginning of Galatians chapter one, Paul writes, I am astonished literally shocked that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Maybe somehow, at some point in our lives of trying to follow Jesus, we have been confused or polluted by a world that wants to tell us what false gospel is and what an untrue gospel is. This church was now trying to figure out how it could be Jesus and Jewish or Jesus and obedient or Jesus and holy. They were trying to figure out all the things that they needed to do in order to maintain and earn Christ when in fact, Paul wrote so very clearly, it's already been done. It's a gift. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to boast about it. It's literally God's free gift for you. And they're being muddled up by a theology of works that told them they had to somehow meet God halfway and earn his really unmeritable, unearnable favor. That's what grace ultimately is somehow or another. Maybe we've been swayed towards a different gospel, towards a cultural gospel. Don't get me started on a nationalistic gospel. Somehow or another, we've adopted Jesus and when it's ultimately supposed to be Jesus only. Maybe we don't share because we've been swayed. Maybe, maybe we don't share because our priorities aren't secure. Paul, he writes in one of the more clearly defined specific gospel passages in the New Testament, he literally stresses for us what the main thing is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse three and four, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That first, it's not just first in a long list of things that happen, it's first as in primary. It's the Greek word protos. It literally means the most important thing, the most important thing that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Uh, One of my ministry giants and heroes, a fellow named Reggie Joyner that's in Atlanta, he comes up with the curriculum and his team writes the things that we teach our kids on Sunday mornings. He says, and I love this line, 
He says that all scripture is equally inspired by God, but not all scripture is equally important for us. Don't stress out about that because Jesus did the same thing when an expert in the religious law came and said, hey, Jesus, sum up the Old Testament for us. Tell us what the most important command is. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bonus, I'll give you a second. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some verses are more important for us than others. And if Jesus said it, Paul was in good company because he he ultimately said it too. Hey, of all the things that I write down, of all the things that are the most important that I could teach you, this is of primary importance that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he rose again on the third day and lives to reign supreme not only over the whole world but in our very lives. This is the top of the list of gospel good news that we might be able to tell the world and somehow our priorities, even our good-natured religious priorities can get so out of whack where we forget that the most important thing that we could ever do is tell someone that regardless of who you are and where you're at, God loved you enough to sacrifice his own son that you might be with him forever. Maybe we don't share because somehow or another we're scared that we might make matters worse. If you're scared that you might make matters worse, you're giving yourself far too much power. Because he wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The real way to make matters worse is to not share at all because somehow or another we we think that it rests on us we're we're so concerned about our performance do we know all the right words do we know all the right verses do we we know all the right context the the way to mess up the news is to not share the news because ultimately it's not your power it's not I am not ashamed of the gospel because I've learned a whole lot. It's not I am not ashamed of the gospel because I went to school to learn how to teach it. It's not I am not ashamed of the gospel because my life looks just like Jesus all the time. It's not I am not ashamed of the gospel because I know all the theories and all the words and I've read all the books. It's I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God. And when we share, we're trusting that his power takes over and does the thing that we need it to do to communicate his good news to a world in need. My first job, really before I graduated undergrad in North Carolina, was working as, um, I had a fancy title. It was um, associate for the youth evangelism and church growth team. It was glorified intern, and I loved it. I was working for the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, and I traveled around the state. It's one of the ways that I initially met Susan. Okay, so we, uh, getting to teach middle school and high school kids how to articulate the gospel story and to share their faith. And one of the things that we always consulted was this idea, and some of us have heard it our whole lives if we grew up in the life of a Protestant church, the idea of a Roman road. The Romans were regarded for so many things that they did in the empire, but one of the things was their travel system, the way that they got their military to overtake different lands, the way that they were able to transport supplies all around the empire, the way that they were able to further their literature and their culture so that other people would become very Roman was this travel system system and ultimately and providentially it's one of the ways that the gospel was spread to all nations so that the end could come was this road system that was developed by the Romans and so it's apropos that the book of Romans gives us a bunch of different verses by which we can share the gospel because the very best way for any of us 
to communicate what the gospel is, is to let scripture do the speaking, to ultimately allow scripture to do all of the talking. And so I've got one verse kind of written up here as it is, and it's gonna pop up on your screen so that you can, we've even left more space in the worship guides this week so that you can doodle, if you haven't already taken that up with sketches and stuff, you can follow along with the things that I put on the board up here. Just kind of landing on a few verses from the book of Romans to help us understand and articulate what the gospel story is. The first is Romans chapter three, Verse 23, Romans 3, 23, which is the bad news side of the equation. It, it literally says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us is by nature, not just definition of our actions or lack of actions in the world, but by the very nature of who we are. Every single one of us is a sinner. And the reason that's problematic is because what we find in Isaiah chapter 59, verse two, it says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. The first verse in the whole idea of Roman road is 323, and it's ultimately the bad news side of the equation. It gives us the why. Why? Why do we need to have conversations about salvation? Why do we need to communicate what the gospel story is? The reason is because we're all sinners, eternally doomed to be separated from God forever because of the nature of who we are, unworthy on our own to stand in his presence. We are sinners. I've got some really, really bad news for all of us in the Roman road. If you go next, you land on 623. which is the verse that I have on the top of my board. It says, for the wages of sin is death, comma, not period. That's a good thing. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is a verse that I broke apart with middle school and high school students, which is what we'll do in a minute. But at the very nature of what this verse says, it says, yeah, there's terribly bad news, but there's something good that can come, and it's the what of salvation. What is it? It's God's great gift to us. It's not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we can lose. It's something that God, according to Ephesians chapter 2, in his infinite riches, in his love and mercy, he has decided to give to us. The wages of sin may be death. That's bad news. But the gift of God, his gracious gift to us is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I was going through a, a Roman road of traveling through scripture, I would go to 5.8 next. 5.8 is one of my favorite verses in scripture. And you'll see why. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while. If you want to underline a verse in your Bibles because you're a person who likes to underline verses in your Bibles, underline the word while. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we're doing the, the why, what, when, where, how, who of Scripture and trying to figure out in an interview status what in the world any of this means, this is the when, and it's an important when. It matters. It matters when. It's not when you got your life together. It's not when you determined that you were good enough. It's not when you could stand before God blameless and pure, righteous and holy on your own. It's not when you figured out what the story meant. It's not when you had memorized all of scripture. It's not when you understood all the really difficult parts of it and the ones that really seem to contradict each other because we're kind of confused sometimes about what in the world parts of this mean. It's not when any of those things. It's when you were still stuck in your sin, pursuing your own ends, 
living your own life, traveling down a road that would lead to eternal death, that's when God loved you enough to send his son to die for you. The the why of the salvation is that we're dirty, rotten sinners and nothing good could ever come from us. The, The what is that God chose in his love to give us a gift and he did it when we were wretched, undeserving of who he was. If I was traveling down a Roman road, I would go to chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 next. Oh, and this is an important one. It it literally says that if you profess with your mouth, that's to declare. Some Bible translations say confess. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Literally that simple. And if you pick apart those couple of verses, like your heart, you believe, your mouth, you profess, what are you doing? It's Jesus is Lord. This is the who part of the gospel story. Because at the end of the day, the gospel story is a, a deeply personal understanding of who Jesus is and who you are in relationship to him. What is it that you believe about Jesus? What is it that you know to be true about this word? What declaration are you willing to make with both your heart and your mouth to say who he is publicly, (laughs) relationally, literally every day? The who is Jesus and your understanding of who he is. If I was rounding out the Roman road, you can keep going because there's so many rich verses in this story, but 10.13 answers a really important final question for us. It's the how. It says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How? You just call. You just ask. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for restoration. Ultimately, this whole gospel story is about complete and total life transformation and reconciliation to God. We're desperate sinners in need of forgiveness. God gives us an incredible gift in that while we were still sinners, when we were still stuck in ourselves, he sent Christ to die for us. And if we will understand that Jesus is ultimately and eternally always Lord and call on him, we can be saved. And this is the gospel good news story I had the pleasure of traveling on the state of North Carolina and standing in front of a bunch of middle school and high school kids. And just like I think we're ultimately all a bunch of millennials who mix up the idea that we should share the gospel, you're all middle schoolers too this morning. And some of you are like, yes, I really wanted to be younger today. And some of you are like, no, I thought I had passed that terrible stage in life. With middle school and high school kids, I would literally select a bunch of different verses, a bunch of different words within this Romans 6.23 verse, like the word wages, like the word sin, like the word death. And and some of you are familiar with an illustration like this because it creates a a, a bridge or a cross. And each one of those words means something. The, The idea of a wage, I would say to all the middle school kids in North Carolina, a wage is something that you earn. One day you're gonna have a job. Hopefully it will be at Bojangles where you can drink all the sweet tea that you like because again, I was in North Carolina and Bojangles was as popular as McDonald's or even dare I say it, Chick-fil-A. They were everywhere and we loved it. So I would say to all the North Carolina kids, hey, one day you're gonna get a job at Bojangles and if you're lucky, you'll get to make $5 an hour, not 4.17 like I started out when I was at a minimum wage job, but you might make $5 an hour and for the sake of math, 
math, say you work 20 hours in one week, how much have you earned? And one nerdy middle school kid would raise their hand and say, you earned $100. And I would say, after taxes, you might take home 80, and that's a really good paycheck. But what you did was you worked hard, hopefully, to earn that money. That's a wage. And so when we look at these three words, what we understand is that the wage of our sin, the wage of who we are, the only thing that we on our own deserve in life is death. And that's not just physical death, that's eternal death and separation from Almighty God, never able to be in His presence. And then I would kind of center in on a couple of things just to make sure I had those middle school kids' attention, like saying that this comma is the most important piece of punctuation in all the Bible. Did you know that in Scripture the punctuation was added way later? right? It wasn't in the original Hebrew text, but you get to these kind of things and they matter to us. There's not a period at the end of the sentence that the wages of sin is death. Oh, well, you're out of luck. It's literally the wages of sin is death, but there's, there's more on the other side of the story. This may be very terrible, bad news, but there's good news coming because then I would say to all the middle school kids and the boys would laugh, this right here is the biggest button in all of scripture. And they would understand that this right here changed the course of the story for us, that the wages of our sin may in fact be death. Whoever just laughed, you know you're a middle school boy. Okay, like the wages of sin may be death, but the very gift of God is life. And so I would come on the whiteboard and I would get to draw and say, okay, the very gift of God is life. If I was teaching this in 2021 to a bunch of students, I would say, okay, grab your phones and come take a picture of the thing that I just drew. And back then I couldn't do that because my phone was as big as my shoe and it only worked when I was in my car. Like it was a really terrible kind of thing and it didn't take photographs at all. But I would look at these words and I would say, look at how each one of these things is opposite. The the wage is something that you earn. A gift is something that you're freely given. Sin doesn't get much more opposite than God, who, according to the book of Habakkuk, has eyes that are too pure to even look at iniquity and death. Nothing more opposite than eternal death and separation from God than eternal life for all eternity with God. And and so then we would land on this whole idea that ultimately this is where all of mankind is that this is the really terrible bad news, completely separated from God Almighty and unable to by our works. We would draw works and say, okay, if you just do a bunch of good deeds, if you just really try very hard, if you just live a life that would be better than somebody else's, and you would literally say, okay, oh, that's all right, Pastor Nick, like I'm not a murderer, haven't done that yet, so I can, I can say very safely that I've obeyed that command. I am not an adulterer, haven't done that yet, so I can very safely say that I have obeyed that command. I, I literally haven't created some sort of really awful anarchy system in the world. I haven't overthrown some kind of toxic, like I've really not lived that kind of toxic life. But you've had resentment in your heart. You've lived and adopted lies and grieved the spirit. Like we've literally, by the nature of who we are, been separated from Almighty God because of our sin and we're only deserving death. So it's not your works, and it's not your heritage, it's not your family, it's not any of the other things that would make you worthy of God because your righteousness is rags. It's not worth him. It's only in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so you know what's next. It's literally looking at Jesus Christ. And understanding that that's the only way to receive the free gift that God has given us. 
a simple old as the hills bridge illustration, a, a cross example of what it means to know God and be saved and redeemed by him. It's not that you believe that Jesus Christ is a really great moral teacher because he was. It's not that you believe that Jesus Christ was, in fact, a revolutionary leader because he changed the landscape for women and for children and for other nations all in the Roman Empire. It's not that you believe that Jesus Christ was some kind of miraculous healer because he was. It's not that you believe that he did these amazing works because he did. It's not that you understand that he was anything other than what he always was, the one true Messiah, the embodiment of the living God who came to be a sacrifice and the covering propitiation, the payment penalty for our sin. He's Messiah. And it's only when you understand that it's not just teacher, healer, miraculous do-gooder, but it's Lord that you've experienced true salvation, true transformation. And this is the story of the gospel good news that we are privileged to be able to tell. Romans chapter five, um, verse one uh, through five, literally says this, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, it's literally just believing in Jesus. None of the stuff that we can do, it's only faith in him. Since we've been justified, made right before God through faith, we have peace with God through our, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand and we boast, not in our works, but in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who have been given to us. I didn't do this back in the year 2000 when I was working my first job for the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, but I would do it today. I I would say to all those middle school, high school kids, and I would say to us that the best and primary context for us being able to fulfill our Christian call and duty to share this gospel is the relationships that we have. Because not only are these the people that you know who are lost and in desperate need of forgiveness and a savior, but these are people who know you. They know your warts, they know your struggles, they know your difficulties, they know your challenges. And what they're able to observe about you is that if you are a person who clings to hope in spite of the fact that the world is hard, you might just have a gospel that's worth sharing. If in your life we can see some sort of evidence that your suffering that you're thankful for has produced perseverance and that your perseverance and your willingness to endure beyond all logic is that you would have the kind of character and the kind of endurance that would offer you hope. And there's nothing that the world needs more, certainly in 2021, but even before, than hope. And when we know that it's only found in Jesus? How much do we have to hate other people to be willing to tell it to them that he has hope? Sometimes news sounds way worse than it is. Sometimes news comes in a negative form, right? Like good news can be really negative. I had my very first, believe it or not, in this whole pandemic COVID test last week, and it was negative, thank you found out that I was 
exposed to somebody who potentially had it and out of abundance of caution, I'm vaccinated and I've done all the rules and followed everything that apparently we're supposed to do, but found out that out of an abundance of caution for my young son, Simon, who many of you know has cystic fibrosis, that I should go and be tested just to rule it out. I quarantined away from him for a couple of days and went and got tested. Sometimes good news is negative. Sometimes good news is not negative. Like this week when we went to the Creve Hall Farmer's Market and we've registered every week this summer to win a yellow beetle convertible that was being given away by Bobby Hyde, the realtor, in our neighborhood. And at seven o'clock, we stood there and waited for our names to be called. And it wasn't. We did, sometimes the negative news isn't so good. Regardless of what the news is, isn't it always good to hear it from somebody that you know? Think about the people that you know right now that need to hear good news the negative side of the equation, that they're a dirty, rotten sinner, conceived and born and living a life in it until they meet the forgiveness that's only found in Jesus. When Simon was born, we had him tested for cystic fibrosis because we knew way back from having our first daughter, the one with conjunctivitis, that cystic fibrosis was a possibility for us. So all of our kids were tested at birth. The first two are non-displaying carriers, just like me and Susan, which means they could pass it later on in life, but they don't display it themselves. Well, before we got the news about Simon, he was already symptomatic, but yet we had hope that he wouldn't have it. Our pediatrician, who we had a seven-year relationship with ever since we came to Tennessee and had our daughters, we loved this guy. He got the news from the blood test alongside the pulmonologist at Vanderbilt, and they are wonderful doctors that we have come to know and love, but at the time, we didn't know them from anything. Our pediatrician put a stop on the order so that before we were requested to go in and meet with pulmonologists at Vanderbilt, we could come in and meet with him because he knew us and he knew our story. And he would sit across from us knee to knee and tell us the news about Simon with tears in his eyes. And not only the bad news, but he would tell us the hope-filled good news that came from it. You have an opportunity to sit around with the people that you know, people that you love, people that you care about, people that you want to see experience hope and say to them, I got bad news. (laughs) We're all sick and doomed, but I've got really good news. There is a hope-filled solution, and his name is Jesus. People need to hear that from you. People need to hear that from you. And that's the call that we are given to engage the community and the world around us. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this incredible day of life. Thank you for the chance to be in this place and to tell you that we love you and that we need you. And to collectively understand that it is our call in life to proclaim you to this world. May we be challenged and leave here today knowing and understanding the world's desperate need for you and our opportunity to share you with others. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray blessings on this day. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.